You are listening to episode three of The Outcast, part of Primitive Intelligence. I'm your host, Kurt, and I usually pull the audio off of the live stream I do on Thursdays at 7 p.m. over on my YouTube channel. This past week, there was a lot more questions and a lot more interaction on the chat. And with that lag from the YouTube live stream, it kind of made for a weird audio portion for the podcast. So I just re-recorded some of the topics I talked about and made a new podcast. If you joined the live stream and you're listening to this and you realize it's different, that would be why. So we're going to get right into it. I talk a little bit about my Esbit stove. I talk about uh, some changes at YouTube, uh, go over a little bit of um, my trip from this weekend and some a uh, little bit of a weird situation we saw with some people who were definitely not prepared to be out. So check all that out. The Outcast starts now. So this week's live stream was a little bit different. I had a lot more interaction from the people watching. So it didn't really come across well as a podcast. Because of the lag in the YouTube live stream, it really made for a weird audio-only experience. I'm just going to go over some of the points I was making uh, in the the live stream, and then talk a little bit about the backpacking trip I just took. So the first thing I wanted to cover was if you are a YouTuber, if you're a small YouTube channel like I am, less than 1,000 subscribers and less than 4,000 hours of watch time a year in a 12-month rolling period, and you were a YouTube partner, meaning that you could monetize your videos, you will be losing that YouTube partner status. It's something that they just kind of pushed out. They reached out to all the channels that were not in that threshold and basically informed them, you know, you're not where we want you to be, so you're going to lose your YouTube partner status. And it kind of sucks. But if you look at the amount of money that you make as a small channel, you're not really losing that much. Now, I understand that for some people, even that little bit of money is huge. And I have been in a point in my life where... I had a, an old channel that I used to run, and I was making probably about $100 a month, $100 to $150 a month off of monetized videos. And at that point, that was my grocery money. A single guy living you know, in an area where the cost of living was decent, and uh, I could shop smart. I could stretch $150 for a month of groceries for myself, and that was, that was awesome. That was a huge help, and I understand it. So for some people... That is going to be a huge loss to lose, even if they're only making $100 every two months off of that. But in the grand scheme of things, the monetization appears to be really the only thing that's going away. All the tools that we use now, all the things that they gave us to make bigger and better videos is not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere at all. So we still have access to all those. So now the focus for the smaller channels really has to be uh, the content that they're creating and growing their subscriber base. So the more subscribers you have and the more real subscribers you have, the, the more watch time you'll have. And uh, once you get above that 1,000 sub mark, if you've got 1,000 really good subs, they're going to be watching your content and you'll be able to get back into the YouTube Partner Program and be able to monetize your videos. So... In the short term, it may wind up costing a little money, but I think in the long term, the more that I think about this now, in the long term, it's going to really help the channels who are really trying, who really want to grow. They're going to become better and stronger and with better content in the long run through all this. Yeah, I, I was kind of bummed out about it at first, losing that little bit of monetization. But then when I looked at how much I was really making off these videos, 
<laughs> I get it. I, I do get it, what YouTube is trying to do. So I'm just going to keep on working. It's not going to deter me from making videos. I'm going to still make the videos the way I want to make them. I've got a really good base of subscribers now and uh, a lot of really interactive and great channels that are in the same genre that I am, the outdoor community. Uh, they put up great content themselves and everybody's willing to watch each other's videos and give feedback and talk and it's pretty cool. I really like it. So I'm, I'm happy with where I am now. Yeah, I'll lose a, a few bucks here and there, but you know what? In the long run, like I said, uh, I, I just believe it's going to make things a little bit stronger for us smaller channels. So looking forward to growing with all these other small channels that we're all kind of doing the same thing and uh, see where we go from there. I did wind up getting a new uh, toy, so to speak, kind of a new piece of gear to play around with. And that was my Esbit stove. Uh, it's the Esbit pocket stove, and it's a small, like, three inch by inch and a half or four by three. I, I didn't really measure. I don't know how big the whole thing is, but it's this little aluminum box that opens up and the sides fold up to create a stand. You put the solid fuel cube in the center. You light it on fire and you can boil water. You can't really cook a meal on it, but you can boil water. So for me, when I'm out, I'm using dehydrated meals mostly. I will occasionally cook over the fire with, uh, I'll take some kind of, you know, whatever, hot dogs, hamburgers, something like that, if I'm not really backpacking into a place. Uh, but if I'm backpacking, I'm going to take dehydrated meals or I'm going to make sandwiches or something like that, something I can pack down I don't have to cook. But for that purpose, especially if you're, if you're hiking or you're backpacking and you just want to stop and heat up some water for a coffee or maybe you want to make some ramen noodles or something like that, you can do that with this little stove without having to start a fire without having to carry around a fuel canister with you or finding twigs for a solo stove or a twig stove. I was really skeptical of this thing at first. I've seen other people use it. A buddy of mine uses his. And I was like, eh, you know, it's just another little stove to carry around. But it's so light and it worked really well. I just used it this past weekend and I was really impressed with how it worked. Even in like the high 20s to low 30s, weather we had while we were cooking, it boiled the water in the amount of time it said. I had a cup of water on there and it boiled in about three and a half to four minutes. And uh, I tried melting some snow with it with the remainder of the cube, but it, I didn't have enough time to do that. It was really, it did exactly what it was meant to do. Really happy with it. Excited to get out there and mess around with it a little bit more. Now I gotta get more fuel cubes, I guess. But it's a cool little, it's a cool little piece of kit to have. So if you're looking for something light and quick for backpacking or just hiking to, like I said, to stop and make something real quick, it's a really cool thing to have. Uh, I know a lot of people would like to lean towards alcohol stoves for that, but uh, I don't think an alcohol stove is something I'll ever really mess with. Not that I, I think they're dangerous or anything, but it's just not... I've seen too many things go wrong with them. I don't know. Just not something I, I really want to mess with. Uh, for me, I'm always, I am always have that fear of the alcohol is going to leak the bottle that you have it in, no matter how good of a container you have it in. If you are hiking and you, you fall or something and that pops open, now all your stuff is flammable. And I don't, I don't need to mess with that. So uh, I'll stick with that fuel cube stove. So that'll be my third different kind of stove that I use. I've got the, the canister stove. I've got the pocket rocket too. I've got a twig stove and a solo stove light. And now I've got the, the Esbit pocket stove. And then my fourth way would just be cooking over a campfire, which I, I like doing that too. So a lot of different ways to heat up stuff out in the woods. One of the other things we started talking about in the live stream was uh, someone had mentioned the, uh, the Grand Canyon and hiking out in the desert. And that's something I've never done. I've never been out to the Western US, uh, the Western United States, and I'm so dying to get out there. 
Um, I would love to take a road trip across the country and drive out there and just see what's there. I know I won't be able to do a lot of hammock camping out in the desert, but for that, I'll take a tent. Uh, I'll make a tent if I have to. But yeah, something about being out in the desert, being able to see that, it's just so different from what I'm used to out here in the Northeast. Out here, it's all, you know, forests and hills and mountains. And uh, out in the desert, it's like the beach without the ocean, I guess. I mean, I'm probably completely wrong about that. But I would love to see the Grand Canyon. I'd love to see uh, the Redwoods. I know the Redwoods aren't um, desert, but there's so many cool things out in the the western part of the country that I want to go see. I just got to get a plan together and get out there and do it. And every time I see a video about the Pacific Crest Trail, that first section when you start from the southern end uh, going through the desert, it looks brutal, but it looks awesome. So I really want to get out there and check that out. I don't know if I'll do the PCT. Probably not. It would be kind of cool to do, but you got to have a lot of time to do that. Just getting out there and seeing the desert and the wildlife and I can only imagine what the skies are like at night. There's just so many things. And I'm just speculating on all this. I might hate it. Who knows? But definitely trying to get out there and see some desert scenery would be pretty cool. So the opposite of desert hiking is what I did this weekend. I did an overnighter with a buddy of mine in the Pinchot State Forest, which is where I was a few weeks ago. And uh, we did a different section of trail. We hiked down to Choke Creek. We found a really cool campsite right on the creek itself. Had this awesome little fire pit that someone had made on the bank of the, of the creek. And I'm going to say creek like 12 more times, just get used to it. It was situated in a way that we could watch the water and we could see the sunset. And shortly after that, we saw the moon set. And uh, it was a, a really cool little spot. A cool hike in, cool hike out. But it was kind of a race against the weather. Uh, it, for January, it's weird. We've had fluctuations in our temperatures of like 60 degrees uh, from day to day, it seems like. So this weekend was, we know that we're going to have some kind of mushy weather here for the next week. So it was close to 40 during the day and down to the high 20s at night. And just, just cool enough that we could get that hike in and not be running through too much mud. Although I did get my boots fairly wet on the hike in and they froze overnight, which is never fun, but what can you do? So one of the cool things that did happen was it was about 4 a.m. And when I'm sleeping in a hammock, I'll sleep sound for two or three hours. And then I'll wake up and I'll lay there and I'll listen to the sounds of the forest. And I'll listen for animals or I'll listen to the water. And then I'll fall back asleep and then I'll sleep for like two hours and I'll be wide awake again. Uh, it's it's weird. It's, it, it's not a bad sleep cycle. It's just different for me. I don't do that at home. It was about 4 a.m. I was laying there. I was kind of in that half asleep, half awake state. Out in the distance from behind me, I hear an owl. So I grabbed my my audio recorder, which I had in my pocket to keep it warm, and I, I turned it on. I put it up on, a, on my top quilt, hoping that the owl would get close enough to get a good recording. And not only did that owl come into our campsite, but there was at least at least two others, maybe three or four others. And I got this audio, which is so cool. So listen, to, you'll hear in the background the, the creek, Choke Creek in the background, but the owls get into this kind of chatter that they get into. Now, these are barred owls, so they're the ones who kind of do that who cooks for you, who cooks for you all kind of uh, call. But when they all get together, they get into this chatter, and it's the craziest sound. So if you've ever been out in the woods and you've heard this, it's just owls. It's nothing to be afraid of, nothing to be alarmed about, but it's pretty cool. So listen to this. Oh, my God. 
So that whole thing went on much longer than that. That's just an excerpt of kind of their chatter when they all got together. But it was really, really cool. And I love hearing owls like that. Uh, really awesome experience. And one of the reasons why I go out and I do backpacking, just for things like that. Because you're not going to hear that in your house. You're never going to hear that in your house. If you do, you've got pet owls, and I'm jealous. Other than that, I mean, it was basically just a relaxation kind of a trip. We just kind of hung out, you know, chopped some wood, messed around with the fire, just relaxed and kind of let the stresses of everyday life kind of melt away, you know. Um, we did, however, met a group of uh, backpackers who came in shortly after us, and they were they, they set up up the creek a little ways. But at about 5 o'clock, just as the sun was setting, another group of people hiked past us heading back the way we had come in. And there was three of them, and they had three dogs, three huge dogs. But they didn't appear to have any gear with them, so we were hoping that they lived on this piece of property that's about a half mile up. There's a little spur trail that goes out that way. So we were hoping maybe they just had their dogs out for a walk. That's where they're going. Although when we came in, there was only one set of footprints that came in ahead of us. We didn't see their tracks. You would have seen three people and three dogs. Their tracks were obvious when you saw them. So we were just hoping they were going to that local or that, that private property because they were a good two and a half hours from the road in the daylight and it was getting dark. So the next morning we spoke to those those backpackers that we had talked to the day before and they spoke to these people. They they walked right past us. They didn't say anything to us that night, but they spoke to them and they asked the, those the three people with the dogs asked this other group, you know, how far from the road are we? Are we close? And they're like, "No, you're still like two and a half hours away." They didn't have any gear. They were parked uh, way up past where we were, probably another 45 minutes past where we had parked. And th- it was getting dark. They had no gear. They didn't have any backpacks that we could tell. Um, they had no gear with them. They had no headlamps. They had no food. Uh, they didn't, uh, didn't appear they had anything for their dogs. So I kind of feel bad for those dogs. I feel bad for them too, but you got to kind of pay attention to what you're doing. So I, I talked about this, uh, I think last week about being prepared and preparing to be prepared. And one of the things you really should do, if you're not the one who's setting up the trip, if you're going with a friend, or even if you are setting up and it's a new place for you, you need to look for a map. You need to know where you're going and have a plan and know that, you know, what the conditions are going to be. When's the sunset? When's all this happen? You know, it's easy to say, well, there was no maps at the kiosk when we were there, although there were because we were at the same kiosk they were. We had stopped there first and we decided to drive down a little closer. And I do know for a fact that the this trail system that we were on, that they were on, shows up on Google Maps. It does show up there. So there's no reason why they didn't. If they had their phones that they were going to use as flashlights, they definitely had maps. It appears as though they got out all right. We didn't see any spots that looked like they had kind of gone off the trail and kind of given up or, you know, gotten hurt or anything like that. So hopefully they made it out all right. Really, in the, in all honesty, if you're going to be out, you need to know what you're getting yourself into. Those are three people who may never go on another hike again because it was a miserable experience for them and just simply because they weren't prepared for it. If you're going out, please, please, please be prepared. Grab a map. Know where you're going. And if it's going to be a longer hike, take something with you, even if you don't use it. Take a sandwich with you. Take some cliff bars with you. Carry water, something, 
anything because it could be the difference between you making it back to your car and you not. Now, had these people stopped and talked to us and told us what they were doing, I would have given them my headlamp. We could have given them water. We had spare water. Could have given them water. You know, it's just, you know, the headlamp, the the bottle of water, it's just things. They can be replaced. But I'd rather give them that stuff than, you know, somebody get seriously injured or worse. So please be prepared when you're out there. Have fun, but be safe. So on that, I'm going to wrap this one up. Thanks for stopping by and listening. This has been The Outcast, and I will see you in the next one.